right, well, praise God. We're going to go ahead and uh, continue going with our, the culture of Living Hope Family Church as we continue in this series. And today we're going to be speaking of that in Living Hope Family Church, we are a people of faith. And there's a lot of questions about faith. And we're going to go through, as we go through this message, you're going to learn, we're going to learn what is faith? What does it actually mean? You know, what is the, uh, the idea of, of faith? have, you know, this faith in, in the world, and we think we have faith or trust for somebody, it's kind of in this fallible thing, but when we talk about faith in, in, in God, it's, it's trust in something that is completely infallible in truth. And then we're going to talk about, well, where does faith come from? Is it, you know, something that's given to you by God? Do you pray for it? Or how do we, how do we get faith? And then we'll talk about, when we have this faith, why do we have this faith? Is God someone that can be trusted? Is God someone that we can fully put our faith in. Will he do what he says he's going to do? Is he who he says he is? And we're going to begin to talk about how unbelief is the enemy of faith. And then we'll begin to see in the Bible these models of faith and how we should demonstrate our faith. And then we'll continue on and see what does faith produce, the power of faith in our lives. And finally, we're just going to look at some examples of faith in action through the Bible. Amen? So let's get started. What is faith? In 1982, Webster's Dictionary defines faith like this. The firm belief of God's testimony and of the truth of the gospel, which influences the will, leads to an entire reliance on Christ for salvation. Can you believe in, the, in the dictionary, that's what it said for faith was in 1982. You know, we had a world where people had an understanding of what faith was. They understood that, that salvation came from Christ, and it was part of our culture as a nation. Now, if you look in a dictionary, a modern dictionary today, dictionary.com, this is the religious version of faith, what it says. It's so watered down now, it simply says, belief in God or in the doctrines or teachings of religion. Now faith is just this belief in God. But back then, they, they understood it was a firm belief of God's testimony, the truth of the gospel, which influences the will. Did you know your faith influences your will? And leads to an entire reliance on Christ for salvation. So we'll look at Hebrews 11, 1 through 2. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it men of old gained approval. This word assurance here is also translated as substance or subsistence. It is actually the, the backbone, it is the foundation of this hope that we have. This hope without faith is just kind of like this hope in our, or we have in our world today. When you ever say something like, I hope this show comes on tonight, or I hope somebody comes over. It's this, it's this kind of, it's wishing almost. It's not hoping. It's not hope like biblical hope, which is founded in truth and based on faith, giving it that backbone. But it's this kind of, it's wishing something would happen. But that's not what we're talking about when we talk about hope in the Bible. And this... It's the very foundation that our hope stands on is this faith. It's this faith that makes our hope a reality in our lives. Otherwise, it's just a wish or a pipe dream. But with faith, hope becomes a reality in our lives. And then it says, it is the conviction of things not seen. Have you ever heard someone talk about, they like, to, they like to throw it at Christians. Oh, you just had this blind faith. This blind faith. And they think it's crazy, this blind faith. And I have to be honest, I think blind faith is crazy too. I mean, if you walked up to a stranger that you didn't know and said, hey, would you deposit my, my, this, this uh, envelope of cash into my bank account for me? Now that's blind faith. You don't know anything about this guy. You hand him all your paycheck and cash. And would you deposit it in my bank account? That's blind faith, and that's absurd. You would never do that. 
So why do they refer to the faith that we have as blind faith? Because faith in this world is so often based on experience. It is so often based on what we've seen in our lives or what somebody else has done. You know, we put faith in... Like right now, this morning you came in and you put faith in that chair that you're sitting on. Everybody has faith. You didn't think about it when you sat down. You just sat down and you assumed it would hold you up. Now, why did you have that faith? You had that faith because in your experience, when you sat down on the chair, it holds you up. And that's what our faith in this world is based off of. So when they say blind faith, they're saying you're putting faith in something that you have no experience with. But I tell you now that faith in Christ, faith in God this morning has nothing to do with experience. It has to do with the truth of the word of God, which is infallible. We can put our hope and in, in faith in Christ. It's not blind. We're, we're putting our hope and faith of, of the God who made this world and it's truth that is solid and it's a foundation that we can stand on and there's nothing that can tear that truth down and that's what our faith is in and that is not blind faith. That is faith in something that will never fail you. You know, and... When you look at the Bible at this blind faith, you would think that if it was something that wasn't good that we'd see people being rebuked for it. But do you remember when Elijah, and he was talking to, that, to, the, to the lady and she was barren and he promised her that she would have a child and she has a boy and the boy grows up and then the boy dies. And this woman, I mean, she's like, no, you told me that I would have a son and he would grow up, but now he's dead. What is going on? So she gets up packs up the donkey, and storms off. She's heading for Elijah, the prophet that told her that my son would live. And he sends his helper up to him. And as she's walking down, the, he sees her and he says, is, all, is everything well with you? And she says, everything is well. Her son's dead. She's coming really to lay the smack down on Elijah because he said, but she says, everything is well. And Elijah knows there's something going on. He knows that her son has died. And he doesn't say, are you kidding me? Your son's dead. Everything's not well. But by faith, she knew that the word of God was true and that she would have a son. And that he would live. And by faith, she said, all is well. And Elijah doesn't rebuke her. He doesn't tell her she's wrong. He doesn't tell her she's crazy. He doesn't tell her she's having blind faith. But he goes to the son and he prays over her son and he lives again. That is the faith that we have. And it's not blind faith, but it's truth. Amen? The next thing that we learn is that without faith, it's impossible to please God. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. So, now that we know without faith it's impossible to please God, let's take a look at some of these things in our lives that we do to try to please God. Sacrifices and offerings brought to God in the Old Testament were not pleasing to God. In Hebrews 10, 5 through 6, it says, Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, Sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. When people brought sacrifices in the Old Testament, it wasn't the sacrifices that pleased God, but it was their faith. Their faith that they would be taken care of and that he would be faithful to them. And then the next thing, no problem. <laughs> the next thing that we see is that we try to do all these good things, and that's going to make us pleasing to God. You know, we're going to help the little old lady across the street, and that'll make God happy. 
We're going to take care of our parents, and that'll make God happy. We're going to give money to the homeless person on the side of the street, and that'll make God happy. All these things that we think that we're doing good, you know, we're being good people, and we think that that's going to make God happy. But in Isaiah 64, 6, it says, For all of us have become like one who is unclean, and all of our righteous deeds are like a filthy garment. And all of us wither like a leaf, and our inequities like the wind take us away. It says all of our righteous deeds are like filthy garments to God. And it's not that God doesn't appreciate good works. We're actually made for good works. That's why God made us, is to do good work. We don't do good works to be loved by God, but because we are loved by God and been made new, God has made us to do good works. But those good works that are done in our righteousness, in our, our own, in our own uh, will and power, it says they're like filthy garment. And this actually word filthy, used in Isaiah 64.6, actually means minstrel garments. I mean, these are our own works based on us when we're talking about taking pride in what we do are, are, are awful to God. He hates them. I mean, we bring them to God like they're this awesome thing. And it would be like, can you imagine that you're, somebody were to give you a present and inside of it, it was menstrual rags. It would be filthy. Like, you're like, God, this is for you. And you open it and you're like, you know, this is not an awesome thing, you know? And that's what our, our when we try to do things in our, own, in our own might and power, our own righteous deeds, that's how God sees them. And in Philippians 3.8, it says, Paul says, more than that, I count all things to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Once again, the translators have kind of wussed out a little bit. That word rubbish actually means excrement. It means a giant pile of poo. The same thing. Could you imagine going to God with your good deeds, all this stuff that you did in your own right, with that presence and God, this is for you. And he opens it, and it's a pile of dung. When we do stuff on our own right, that's what it's like. So we know that sacrifices don't please God. Our, our righteous works and our own might don't please God. What about our religious ceremony? What, what, are, the, what are those things? Religious, oh, we're, we're a Pentecostal, we're non-denominational. We don't have any religious ceremony. What about all that stuff we do to please God? When you, oh, I get up every morning religiously to read my Bible. And somehow God's going to put a tick mark in your I like him column. Or I tithe faithfully, so therefore God must love me. Or any of those things that we do, you know, there's, we see the star religious tradition and, and other sects of Christianity. But even for us, there's stuff that we do that is very religious. And it's not those things that please God. Now, it's not that we shouldn't do those things. By all means, you need to be reading your Bible every single day. And we're going to look at later on why you should be reading your Bible. And you need to be tithing because that is just our, our offering to God saying, thank you so much for what you've done for us. And we need to be doing these things, but we don't do them to try to please God. We do them as a result of what God's done for us and just out of awe and, and, and thankfulness for what he's done. You guys understand the difference when I'm, when I'm trying to get that across? Is that you guys see the difference in that? And then what about, what about when we try to please God by not sinning? I've done nothing bad, so God, put another check in my column. I'm doing great. We try to please God by, by being perfect. And God, I went all day today without sinning. I didn't do a single, I didn't cuss, I didn't cheat, I didn't smoke, I didn't lie. I didn't do anything. I was nice to everybody. 
and we think God put a feather in my cap. But that means nothing. That's not pleasing to God. Once again, we should be doing those things, right? We should be being honest with people and loving people. But we don't do it to try to please God. We do it as a result of what he's done for us. So what does please God when you do all those things with faith? Without faith, it is impossible to please him. But with faith, we can be pleasing to God. Amen? And that faith says, he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. That faith, faith is simply coming to God, believing he is who he says he is, and that he'll do what he says he'll do. It's that simple. Amen? So, Pastor Wayne, I'm supposed to put my faith in God. Why can I put my faith in God? Glad you asked. Let's talk about it. In 1 John 1 through 5, it says, This is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. You know, actually, before that, I was reading a story of this young missionary boy. And uh, every day, at the end of the day, the nuns would call him in and say, Hey, you need to wash your hands. And he would say, Jesus and germs, Jesus and germs. It's all I ever hear here. Jesus and germs, Jesus and germs. It's all I ever hear. And I've never seen either one of them. Why should we believe in a God that, you know, we, we don't always see? I mean, I believe when you look around, you see God in everything. But like this little boy, you know, like the world says, you can't see God. You can't touch him. There's, we can't scientifically. <laughs> I love making that word up, scientifically. I think I'm going to use it forever. We can't, with science, measure God. You know, and so why, why do you believe in something that's not real? Why can you put your faith in God? And we're thinking in 1 John 1, 5, it says, This is the message that we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. And I love this metaphor that John uses because darkness is not a power in and of itself. Darkness is actually the result of no light. We have flashlights. We can turn on a flashlight and the darkness flees from the light coming from the flashlight. But we don't have dark lights. You can't darken something. You can only remove the light. And in God, there is no light at all. When darkness tries to get close to God, it is completely washed out. There's, God is pure and perfect. And because of that, he is trustworthy. And he has no darkness in him. He has no evil in him. And because of that, we can trust him. And then in 1 John 4, 16, it says, We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. God is love. God not only loves you, but he is love. And that's something you can trust. You know, in our own personal lives, we talk about our spouse. We trust our spouse because we know that they love us, and they would never do anything to harm us. They would never do anything that would bring us pain on purpose. Or at least if you got a good spouse, they wouldn't. <laughs> you know? And <laughs> so, but God is love. God is the one, is the author of love. He's the creator of love. He's the reason why we even can love. And he wants the same thing for us. So we know that God loves us. And that's why we can trust him. And then in John 1.17, which isn't up here, says every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, in whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. God doesn't change. He's not one thing one day and another thing the other. And we begin to read here in Numbers 23.19, says God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent 
or other translation that he would change his mind. Has he said, will he not do it? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? God cannot, by his very nature, lie. What he says he'll do, he'll do. Who he says he is, he is. And for this very reason, we can put our trust in him, not like in a man who says they'll do something, but they may not. Men will let you down. There's times that your boss is going to let you down. There's times that your spouse is going to let you down. There's times that your parents are going to let you down. There's times that I might let you down, even as your pastor. There's times that members in this body might let you down. And I, I, I hope to God that I would never let you down. But it might happen. But God will never let you down. God is infallible, and he is the truth that we base our faith on. Amen. So where do we get faith? Where does faith come from? In Romans 10.17, it says, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Dwight Moody, he was a preacher and evangelist in the 1800s, said this once. He said, If all the time I have spent praying for faith was put together, it would be months. He's saying that he was praying for faith. If you took all those little blocks of time praying and put them all in one block, months straight praying for faith. He said, I thought that someday faith was going to come down and strike me like lightning. If you prayed enough, then bam, God was going to kick him in the butt and he'd have faith. But faith did not come. Then one day I read in the 10th chapter of Romans, so then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. He said, I had closed my Bible and prayed for faith, but now I opened my Bible and began to read God's word, and faith has been growing ever since. We don't pray for faith. God doesn't give us faith. We get faith by reading the word of God. I said, you have to believe who God is to have faith. And you have to believe he'll do what he says he's going to do to have faith in him. How can you know who God is if you don't ever read his word and see who he is? How do you know what God is going to do if you never read his word? Say, I know God's got all these promises for me. Well, what are they? I don't know. Well, then how can you put your trust that God will do those things that you don't know? Faith is produced by hearing the Word of God, by reading the Word of God. When you go to and see a minister preaching the Word of God, faith is being built in your heart as you begin to learn what God says about you and what God's promises for are for you. And then in 1 Corinthians 2, 4 through 5, it says, In my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in demonstrations of spirit and of power, so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men but on the power of God. You know, Paul was saying that when I came to you, I didn't come to you with a, a board, you know, one of them little whiteboards or a presentation on the wall that had the religions of the day. Here's, here's uh, Judaism. Here's the way, Christianity. Here's the Muslim religion. Here's the Greek religion. And if, if we look at these, if you look at the, the bullet points on this one and the bullet points on this one and the bullet points on this one, you can see by logic and the wisdom of me and the wisdom of men, you can see that Christianity is the way to go. That's not what he did. He says, I didn't use persuasive words of wisdom so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men. Paul was saying, I don't want your faith in God to rest on what I have to say. I want it to rest on the words of God, rest on who God it is, on the power of God. And that's where we get our faith, is in the Word of God. Amen? And something else I want to bring up, testimonies. You know, we all have these testimonies in our lives. 
and we tell what God's done for us. And testimonies are awesome. I love hearing testimonies, getting goosebumps when you see someone that used to be a drug addict is not a drug addict no more. Somebody who used to have cancer is completely healed and free from cancer. Someone had diabetes or hepatitis, they're completely pure and holy. And it is absolutely amazing to see those things happen. But those testimonies are not going to build faith in somebody else. Those testimonies are not going to save somebody else. What you know those testimonies do do is give you the opportunity to preach the word. <laughs> you know, I can get through almost any distraction except for my wife laughing at me at the front row. That just throws me off every single time. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, I had something awesome I was going to say too. I hope you're, hope you're proud. <laughs> so. <laughs> I have no idea where I was. Praise God. Oh, so testimonies don't produce faith in people, but they give you the opportunity. They do give you the opportunity to, to share the word of God with somebody. Because someone's going to say, why should I believe what you're trying to tell me? Why should I even hear about your God? Well, let me tell you about what he's done in my life. Well, that's awesome. I'm glad. He, tell me more about your God, if that's what he can do in your life. And that gives you the opportunity to preach the word of God which then allows them to build faith, their own faith, and put their trust in Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen? Now I want to talk about the enemies of faith. In Matthew 13, 55 through 58, it says, Is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary and his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? And his sister, sisters, are they all not with us? Where then did this man get all these things? It says they took offense at him. But, you know, the biggest problem the people in his hometown had is they didn't believe he was who he said he was. By their experience, he was just the carpenter's son. It says, don't we know his mothers and brothers and sisters? I mean, don't we know all these people? Why is he special? Why is he different than the rest of them? Because they didn't know who he was. They didn't realize that he was the Son of God, that he was God in the flesh. God made man. They didn't believe who he was. That's the enemy of faith, unbelief. Not believing God is who he says he'll be. And it says, they took offense at him, but Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. It doesn't say, and he did not do many miracles there because they were stubborn and they didn't like him. It didn't say because, they, because of their unbelief. And the thing I want you to know, it wasn't he didn't do it because he didn't want to. We literally can limit the ability of God to work in our life if we don't believe he'll do it. It says, God, the only thing God requires from us is faith. And we limit God's ability to work in our life if we won't believe that he is who he says he is, or that he will do what he says he'll do. And then in Matthew 14, 28 through 31, it says, Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Once again, Peter wasn't sure it was Jesus out on the water. Wasn't quite sure he was who he said he was. He says, if it's you, command me. And Jesus said, come. So then Peter begins to believe that is Jesus, that is who he says he is. And Peter got out on the boat and walked on water and came toward Jesus. The only two people ever recorded to walk on water is Jesus and Peter. That is amazing. Can you imagine? You step out on the water and you begin to walk on the water. 
You know, and, and I think we all imagine that if we lived in those days, oh, our faith would be awesome. Our faith would be great. If I lived in those days and I saw Jesus doing what he was doing, nothing could shake my faith. But the truth is, their faith was shaken all the time. Peter denied Jesus three times, and he was with him the whole time. What makes you think you're going to be any different? <laughs> you know, we have this, actually now, we have it even better because we know the end of the story. We know what happened. We have an opportunity for our faith to be founded. I mean, Peter thought Jesus died. We know Jesus rose again. Amen. But it says, he walked on the water and he came toward him, but seeing the wind and becoming frightened, he began to sink and he cried out, Lord, save me. Do you ever start out good in something and you begin to believe God for something and everything's going great and then something comes and shakes you a little bit. The wind picks up a little bit and your faith begins to waver and you begin to sink. And he says, immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and took a hold of him and he said to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? You see, Peter didn't sink because he wasn't righteous enough. He wasn't good enough. Peter didn't sink because he was going to have future failures or he had past failures. Peter didn't sink for any of those reasons. Peter sank because he saw the storm, he saw the wind, he got scared, and he began to lose faith. He began to doubt and God's ability to work in his life. So just remember the enemy of faith is disbelief. And belief is a choice. I want to tell you that we make a choice to believe what we believe. When the storm starts to come in, Peter had a choice. He could look at Jesus who he was walking towards and continue to place his faith in him and say, you know what, storm, I'm not even dealing with you. You have no authority in my life. Or you can put your focus on the storm and your back turns to Jesus. You ever notice that when you focus on something else, you can either be looking at Jesus, but when you focus on something else, you actually turn away from him? That's actually why they call it repenting. Because when you repent, you do you're looking at something else. And when you repent, it doesn't mean to beg forgiveness and to feel bad enough and guilty enough so God will love you again. To repent means to just turn back towards God. Turn back towards Jesus. Amen? <clears throat> now the power of faith is what I talk about. Now when you have faith, you can do amazing things. God can do amazing things through you. And Joseph, I think you're going to appreciate this one because we're going to talk about the mustard seed. I know we've talked about this a couple times the last couple weeks. Matthew 17 through 20 says, And he said to them, Because of the littleness of your faith, truly, I say to you, if you, oh, they had just asked him, why couldn't we do something? And he said, it was because of the littleness of your faith. For truly, I say to you, if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. And me and Joseph have talked, and Joseph is like, he asked them, how do we have faith like this? And he's like, he doesn't tell them how to have faith. He says, have faith the size of a mustard seed. And we look at this, and we're like, what does that mean? And I've always, I looked at it, I've always thought, well, that just means a little bit of faith goes a long way. And as I began to look at this, and actually the word used there is not if you have the faith the size of a mustard seed. It's actually translated better if you have faith as a mustard seed. So in, we begin to think, tiny, tiny mustard seed, this is what our faith is going to be like. We do great things. But I don't think that's what Jesus was saying. I think what he was saying was to have faith like a mustard seed, as a mustard seed. Not the size, but in the manner of a mustard seed. Well, that's awesome insight, Pastor Wayne, but what the heck does that mean? I know that's what does that mean? Well, a mustard seed, let's look at a mustard seed. That is a mustard seed. 
This is a mustard plant, mustard tree. They grow up to 10 feet tall. So how can we have faith like this to this? If you take faith and you begin to put it in God and it starts out like a small seed, you have a little bit of faith. But if you treat that faith like a mustard seed, you, you plant it and you begin to sow it in the earth, you sow it into God's word, you begin to continue to read his word and that seed gets nursed and it begins to grow. And it grows into that. I mean, that's, what, if we say he's six foot tall, that's 10, 12 foot? What starts out as this ends like this. If you'll stay in the word of God, if you begin to nourish your faith, if you begin to watch it and treat it like a mustard seed, it'll grow to a faith where you can say to a mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. Amen? And then in Matthew 21, 21, it says, And Jesus answered and said to him, Truly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. If you remember the story of this fig tree, and it's an odd story, you wonder, like, I mean, it's, Jesus cursed a tree. So he's walking, Jesus is walking down the road. And in Jewish culture, you were, it was the law, it was required that any of your produce, your, your stuff growing on the side of the road, if it was next to the fence, you didn't harvest it. You left it there for the sojourners, the travelers, the aliens in your land. You left it there so they would have something to eat. That was just what they did. So God comes up, and, or Jesus sees this, this tree, and he sees that it's got leaves on it growing. And he says, it's not yet the time for figs. And what it means is not that it's not yet for times for figs to be grown. It's not yet the time for figs to be harvested. So therefore, this tree should have figs on it. And he goes up to take some, and he realizes there's no figs on it. The owner, instead of leaving that tree to make those figs available to the travelers, the sojourners that's going through, the less fortunate, he harvested it. And Jesus is like, all right, if you want to harvest this and not leave it for anybody, then it's not going to be available for anybody, even you, ever. That's why Jesus cursed the tree. And anyway, they come by the next day, and the disciples see it, and they remembered what Jesus said to the tree, and it's dead. It's never going to produce fruit again because the owner did stuff, something in an unrighteous manner. He was, he was thinking he was being selfish. And it says, not only will you do what was done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast in the sea, it will happen. And we talked about this briefly last week, but he says, if you say to this mountain and be cast in the sea, it will be cast. It doesn't say, if you ask God, if you say, oh Lord, please take this mountain and throw it into the sea. Oh Lord, Please do this for me. Oh, please, Lord. Please, God, take this mountain and put it into the sea. He says, no, you say to the mountain, when you have something going on in your life, I want you to know that you have the authority by faith to speak to your mountains. You take that authority and you say, be cast into the sea. You know, Pastor Mike's always said it best. He says, it's time to stop telling your God about your problems, but start telling your problems about your God. Amen? Amen. Then in Galatians 2.20, pardon me, we're going to begin to talk about the power of faith, what it actually produces in our lives. And in Galatians 2.20, it says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. 
When it says, I've been crucified with Christ, it doesn't mean that you literally got nailed to a tree. But by faith, you traded places with Christ. By faith, the life, the punishment, the brokenness, the piercings that we should have received, He took our place. And in return, we got His perfect and pure life. That's why we're pure before God, because we have His life living inside of us. Instead, it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Paul's referring to Christ living inside of us. He says, which I now live in the flesh. My friends, we still live in the flesh. We still live in this world. But is it your old self living through, or are you letting Christ live through you? And he says, I live it by faith in the Son of God. I live it by faith that he died for me, that he rose again for me, that he gave me a new life. By faith, I believe that I'm justified and redeemed and made pure and made holy. And then in 2 Corinthians 5, 7, it says, For we walk by faith and not by sight. When I was in Africa a few, few years back, we were training some pastors up there, and this man, young man came in. I'm not sure how old he was. He's probably older than me. But he came in, and uh, he had been out working in his field, and he was chopping down some brush or something, and he buried an ax in his foot. And he came in, and they asked if I would pray for him. And I had been preaching on healing the whole, the whole time. That was my, what I was tasked to preach on was healing. And... Uh, so he takes his bandana around his foot, and there's this cut all the way across his foot, and I can see the white of his bone where the blade had come. And this happened weeks ago, and I could still see his bone. And I laid hands on him, and we began to pray, and we began to proclaim with authority what the Word of God says in his life. It says, if you lay hands on the sick, they will recover. And it says that by his stripes, we have been made whole. And I began to pray that over him. And when I was done, I said, no. We walk by faith, not by sight. This is the, the principle I was trying to tell him. I said, you're going to get up in the morning, and if you look at your foot and it's still cut open, that's the world, the circumstances trying to tell you that your foot's still cut. But you stand on the word of God because that's the difference between facts and truth. The fact is, he may still have a cut on his foot. The truth was that he was healed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he came in the next day, the very next day, and he showed me his foot. And I could still tell there was a pretty deep cut there. But it had knitted in. I couldn't see his bone anymore. You know, he could have easily got up in the morning and said, I still see this cut. God's not faithful. God's not going to do it. And nothing would have happened. But he got up. He looked at his foot that night before he went to bed and said, you know what, my foot still looks cut, but I believe that God has healed me and made me whole. And every time he looked at it, when his foot was trying to tell him something else, he chose to believe God. And I began to see that the bone was knitting around. There was, there was still a cut there, but it was healing where it hadn't done in the past week or two. And the power of God was amazing, but that's the difference between truth and facts. The fact is, you might be sick. The truth is that you are healed by the blood of the Lamb. The fact is, I may have lost my job, but the truth is that God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The fact is, I might feel alone and that nobody loves me, but the truth is that God loves you and he'll never leave you or forsake you. The fact is, I may feel unclean or dirty. I may feel like that I'm not living up to what I should be, but the truth is, I'm the redeemed in Christ. Amen? And that's walking by faith and not by sight. And John, 1 John 5, 4 says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Everyone take a look at your neighbor and say, I have overcome the world. 
I'm glad we all said it. I was going to wait until everyone said it. <laughs> you have overcome the world. Do you, do, you, do you get the gravity of that? Do you, get, do you understand how powerful that actually is, that, that you are an overcomer? The world is always knocking everywhere around us, trying to tempt you into doing stuff, trying to tell you that you're not good enough. I mean, what do you mean the world's telling me that I'm not good enough? Have you ever seen a... Man, I'm getting talking fast again. I'm getting excited. I tried. I listened to myself on the tapes or on the recordings, and I realized that I'm. A, I talk fast, so I'm going to slow down now. <laughs> anyway, the world. You walk. You see the billboards of these perfect people on the billboards, and it's basically telling you that you're not like them. You're not good enough. And if you want to be good enough, you need to be like them. You know, the world is constantly telling us that we don't measure up. And matter of fact, the world now begins to tell us that we're not good people if we believe in Jesus. If we believe in Christ, they begin to tell us that we're bigots or that we're closed-minded. The world is always attacking us. But whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And it says, this is the victory. You are victorious that has overcome the world. What is that victory? Why do we overcome the world? What has given us that victory? Our faith. We choose to believe what the Word of God says, and we have victory, and we are overcomers because of the power of God in our lives. Amen? So now we'll begin to look at some examples of how we should model our faith. Some people that have done things that, are, that, that Jesus was amazed at and how their, their faith was. And, and that's what we'll look over the next few scriptures. In Luke 18, 17... He says, truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child will not enter it at all. So what does he mean by that? Receive the, children, receive the kingdom of God like a child. Children rely completely on their parents. Apart from their parents, they can do nothing. And the funny thing is, little children, and that's what God's talking about, is they understand that. They don't try to do everything on their own. They understand they need their parents, and they trust fully in their parents. You know, if you put your young son up on, the, on a six-foot wall, and you stand away from it, and you put your arms out, he'll jump without abandon. He does not doubt that you're going to catch them. That's that, that attitude, that reliance on our parents that we should have. And that's what Jesus is talking about. Receive the kingdom of God just like that, with abandon, fully trusting in God your Father. And I remember one time when Blake was much younger, he brought me this toy. And I don't remember what it was. I just know that he broke it good. I mean, it was, I couldn't fix it. And I said, son, I'm sorry. It's too broke. I can't fix it. And he looked at me and he said, yes, you can, Dad. He said, yes, you can. He was, when I told him I couldn't fix it, he was bewildered. He was befuddled. You like that word? He didn't understand. He couldn't comprehend that I couldn't fix it. His faith in me was so great that I, as his dad, could fix anything. And that's the kind of faith that we, should, that we should have in Jesus, that we should have in God, that there is nothing that he can't do. The difference between me and God, though, is, is I am fallible. There's things that I can't do. I couldn't fix that toy. But God can do everything that he says that he could do. Amen? And then Matthew 15, 25 through 28, it says, But she came and began to bow down before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she said, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus said to her, O woman, your faith is great. 
it shall be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed at once. So why was her daughter healed? Your faith is great. It shall be done for you as you wish. Completely based on her faith, her daughter was completely healed. Because she believed. Now this woman, she's a Gentile. So when Jesus first comes, he's coming to the Jews. That's, that's when Jesus is here. That's who he's dealing with. He's preaching to the Jewish people. And that's what he says. He says, it's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. And Jesus wasn't insulting her and calling her a dog. He was just explaining a principle that I've been sent to this group of people and not to the Gentiles yet. And <clears throat> can you imagine? She's a Gentile. She's trying to push her way through a crowd of Jews which don't like her, think she's unclean, and have want nothing to do with her. So she's got to overcome that. She finally makes it to Jesus. And Jesus says, why should I do this for you? This is not for you. Can you imagine how much faith you'd have to have to, to say back to Jesus this? Can you imagine that if you went to Jesus with all the faith that he could do something and he tells you no? What kind of faith it is to say, oh no, but yes you can. Like Jesus told her, it's not good for me to give this to you. But she says, you know what, God? I know who you are. You know what, Jesus? She, she wasn't confused with who Jesus was. She knew who he was. And he says, but even the dogs feed on the crumbs which fall from their master's table. She says, you know what? Even with what you're telling me, I know, Lord, that you love me and that you'll do for me what I ask. That was how great her faith was. Amen? And then the next one, this is one that's close to my heart because I was in the military. But Luke 7, 6 through 9 says, Now Jesus started on his way with them. And when he was not far from the house, the centurion sent friends saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. Now this is a centurion that had asked, sent someone to ask Jesus to come to his house to heal his daughter. And then he sends a message to Jesus and says, Lord, do not trouble yourself further, for I'm not worthy for you to come under my roof. For this reason, I did not even consider myself worthy to come to you. But just say the word, my servant will be healed. You know, the humbleness of this guy blows me away. He's like, I'm not even worthy to come speak to you myself. And you don't have to come to my roof, because I understand that, that you know, I, you are so awesome and powerful that I don't, I'm not even worthy to come speak to you. And I thank God that even though that is the case, that God still wants to spend time with us. That God made us pure and clean so that he could spend time with us. And I thank God that even though sometimes we make that an issue for ourselves, it's not an issue for God. He loves us and wants to spend time with us. But then he says, But just say the word and my servant will be healed. He says, For I also am a man placed under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, Go. And he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my slave, do this, and he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled at him, and he turned and said to the crowd that was following him, I say to you, not even in Israel have I found such great faith. You know, there's only a few times you see Jesus kind of uh, bewildered, or, you know, it says he marveled, he was in awe, and it's when people have lots of faith, or when people have no faith. <laughs> He's amazed at their lack of faith or he's amazed at their complete abundance of faith. 
But this Roman soldier says, when I say to my soldiers, go, they go. And when I say, come, they come. He understood in the military, and as a Roman soldier, when he said something, it got done. There was no doubt. There was no confusion. He spoke the word, and it happened. And he saw that Jesus was a man with authority, with the full authority of God behind him. And he said, just like I am under authority... And what gave the Roman soldier power, what gave him that authority, was because he had the full backing of the government behind him, the Roman government behind him, which gave that Roman soldier that authority. And Jesus had God behind him, which gave him that authority. And we see that in our lives with, with uh, if you had someone walk up behind you and threw a light on their car, or just a regular old car, and, and tried to pull you over, and they walk up and you realize that they're not actually a police officer, you're like, what the heck are you doing? You would drive off because they have no authority to pull you over. But a police officer pulls you over. They have the full authority and backing of our city and state governments to do what they have to do. In the same way, this man understood authority and how it worked. And he understood that Jesus had the authority of God. And he said, all you have to do is say the word. You don't even have to come here. You don't have to touch my, my daughter. You don't have to do anything. Just say the word and she will be healed. And in the same way, you and I have that same authority. Because we have the authority of Jesus given to us. We have his life inside of us. Matter of fact, we operate under the same power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus operated under. And Jesus said that, that those who follow me will do greater works than these. And we have that same authority. And I want you to know that you have that power, not of your own ability and might, but because you have the full authority of God behind you, giving it to you. So when you say to the mountain, be cast into the sea, it has no choice but to obey. If you believe it and do not doubt. Amen? And in Hebrews 6, 11 through 12, it says, And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end, and so that you will not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. This is something that as believers we really have to get a hold of, though, because I've been speaking of faith and you have to believe, and... And, all right, I can get a hold of this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have faith and believe in something. And you're like, I believe that God is going to do this. And you open your eyes and, did it happen? Oh, it didn't happen. God's not faithful. He never does what he says he's going to do. But the truth is, is it with faith and patience we inherit the promise. You have to stand firm. In Romans 5.3 it says, And not only this, but we exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. That perseverance is that patience. Sometimes we come up against stuff and we say, Lord, I have sickness in my, or I, Pastor Wayne, I have sickness in my body and I'm believing God for healing, but it hasn't happened yet. Why did you stop believing then? You persevere. That tribulation gives you the opportunity to endure and persevere and your faith has an opportunity to be tested and grow. The problem is most of the time when we have promises not happen in our life is because we gave up before they could be fulfilled. It's like taking that mustard seed that we talked about earlier and you plant that little seed and we expect that we take the seed and it's like the jack and the beanstalk when you throw the seed and poof! The beanstalk shoots through the ceiling. But that's not how stuff grows. We plant the seed and we water it and we wait. And with patience and faith we inherit their promises. But what can happen is, is we plant the seed and we come out the next morning and nothing's happened yet. So we, I, hope, I hope it's working. I hope it's actually doing something. So we pull out our shovel and we dig it up and we kill the seed because we didn't have patience to let it actually mature and grow. 
So remember, with faith and patience, we inherit the promises. And sometimes we think that we have to wait a few days or months or, heaven forbid, even we wait a year for one of God's promises to become made manifest in our lives. But we look at the Bible. We look at Noah. This man was told by God that the world was going to flood. They had no idea what that was like. They had no idea what that kind of water was like. They didn't even have a word for it when God said it to them. And it took 120 years to happen. Can you imagine waiting 120 years for God to do something in your life? And faithfully, every day, he preached the word of God and he began to, to build that ark because he believed that God's word was so true. And 120 years later, what God said finally came to pass. And he believed it for that long. That is amazing. And then Abram. God comes to him and says, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. Matter of fact, now I'm going to call you Abraham because that means you're a father of many nations. And he says, your, your descendants are going to be like the stars in the sky or the, the sand in the, in, in the desert, you know, every grain of sand. And it took 25 years for Isaac to be born. He waited and trusted God and believed God for 25 years. I mean, I, that kind of faith astounds me. I mean, at some point, I think all of us would be like, God said he was going to do this. It's been 10 years. Maybe I heard him wrong. Maybe, you know, maybe, obviously, I heard him, or, or God's a liar. What was, was that? Maybe we think we begin to call God a liar. But just keep the faith, and, and with patience, you will inherit the promises. This isn't a you might, you could, someday. you will inherit the promises with faith and patience. Amen? And then in Ephesians 6, 13 through 17, it says, Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm, do what? Continue to stand firm. After you've done everything to stand firm, continue to stand firm. Therefore, having girded your loins with truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and in addition to all, taking up the shield of faith, which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. You know, the devil has no power in your life if coupled with faith you stand against him. You have authority over the devil in your life. And the Roman shield, the shield that he's using as an example, was so large that it would cover a Roman soldier from head to toe. It was very likely the same type of shield that David had in front of him when he went against Goliath. But it's, it's complete protection. There's not anything to go, go through, get through at all. And that's what we have with our faith. If we'll stand firm, having done all to stand firm, if we continue to stand firm, we are protected from the evil one. Amen? And then in Hebrews 12.2, it says, Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He is the author of faith because he's the very reason that we have it. Our faith is in him. And he's the perfecter of faith because he never doubted. He did it perfectly. He gave us the example of what faith is like, believing that what God said about him was true and believing that God would do through him what God said he would do. That is why he's the perfecter of our faith. And it says, For the joy set before him, he endured the cross and despised the shame. Despising the shame, he still do it. He endured the cross and all that pain for the joy set before him, which was you and me. Amen. We are the joy that was set before him. He did it for us. Amen.
Amen. And I know I'm getting long here, so right now I just, huh? <laughs> so right now, I just want to go through Hebrews 11. Read this chapter. When you get home today, read Hebrews 11. This is the great faith chapter. And we're going to talk, and all I'm going to do is read through this. I'm not going to talk about it much. I'm just going to talk about Paul describing all these great men and women of faith. And it says, by faith, we understand that the words were prepared, the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. Remember what I said, that the, the faith is the substance of, uh, of hope. It is the conviction of things unseen. Same thing when God spoke, the earth came to be, and by faith we believe that. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, which though, though which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying about his gifts, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that we would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up, for he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. All these men were pleasing to God because of their faith. In Hebrews 11, 7 through 12, it says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God about things not yet seen in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness, which is according to faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore there was born even of one man, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number, and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. 17 through 22, it says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who received the promises of offering, received the promises, was offering up his only begotten son. Can you imagine offering up your own son? What kind of faith that took? George, can you imagine if you had to, to, to put John on an altar? That's, a, that's what God did with his son for us. Absolutely blows my mind, but it says by faith he did it. Because he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead. He trusted God wholeheartedly. It says, by faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau, even regarding things to come. By faith, Jacob, as he was dying, blessed each, blessing each of the sons of Joseph and worshiping, leaning on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel and gave orders concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin, considering the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not, wearing the, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured or seeing him who was unseen. By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land and the Egyptians and when they attempted it were drowned. 
By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the harlot did not perish along with those who were disobedient after she had welcomed the spies in peace. And what more shall I say? For time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David, Samuel, and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword from weakness, were made strong, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. You know, I should have counted how many times he said by faith. I didn't, but I think we can agree that faith is a little bit important to God. Amen? So we're going to finish here in 2 Timothy 4, 7-8. through 8. It says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. Paul, having done everything to stand firm, stood firm. Paul, with faith and patience, kept going. It says, in the future there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord of the righteous judge will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who has loved his appearing. Do you all love the Lord? Amen. He's talking about you. Let's keep fighting the good fight. Let's go ahead and finish this course. Let's keep the faith. Amen? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads.